The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. swing now the Sooners playing their first full weekend of action and getting ready actually for some more games coming up softball still undefeated still highly ranked it's almost time for spring football and the calendar is just about to turn to March and you know what that means for basketball March madness what's going on everybody this is the Sooner Nation podcast Matt Hofeld along with Rich DeCray uh Rich I want to talk a little bit just recapping some baseball Sooners off to a little bit of a slow start uh, two and two on the season. They split their season opening series with Omaha. Uh, lost the first game uh, three to six. Won the second game eight to five. Then they lost to Stephen F. Austin in Arlington, Texas, before coming back and beating UT Arlington uh, just Wednesday night by a score of seven to one. Baseball off next to the Round Rock Classic. Uh, they'll face Auburn, Texas A&M, and Baylor. And I really think when you're talking about this team, trying to break them down, it's so early in the season, and and there's still some young guys that Skip Johnson is dealing with that I kind of expect, at least I hope, and I think Sooner Nation hopes with this, that what we're going to see happen with this team is that they're going to mature and develop and kind of find their stride, much in the same way that Long Kruger has done with the baseball, with the basketball team. Man, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with your perception of what's kind of going along there under Skip Johnson. I know that last year we looked at a well-rounded starting pitching crew, especially on the weekends. It was always finding that midweek starter that was going to propel this team either forward or kind of limit what they were doing in terms of wins to losses. This isn't that same, if you're asking me, this isn't that same pitching crew. Now, I know there are some familiar names that will take the mound every now and then. But again, when we're looking at that dominance that we started to see last year, I I don't know that it's there. As the MLB came calling for a lot of those players, more specifically the, the starters from this Oklahoma roster because of what they were producing on the field. Right now, sticking with the with the diamond, uh, going across the street was it? What did we say? A five minute walk or a ten minute walk? What was our what was our bet? I don't know, there? but from, whatever it was, from you were wrong. <laughs> from Eldale <laughs> Mitchell Park to the uh, to the baseball sta- uh, softball stadium, Sooners seven and zero on the season. They finally really hit some competition over the weekend. They they took the doubleheader from Houston, twelve to four in a run rule in the first game, but then only five to three in the second game. Still a win, so you can't really like scratch your head at that. But you look at that score, and and because it's it it doesn't fit. When you look at Oklahoma scores, you got that astronomical twenty nine to nothing routing of UTEP to start the season, nine nothing over Abilene Christian, and then eleven nothing over Abilene Christian. They didn't give up their first runs of the season until the fourth game when they won twenty one to two over UTEP. 
You come back, you run rule Houston in the very first game of that series, and then five to three before finishing the weekend on Monday with a 13 to nothing shellacking of Tarleton State. You just look at that five to three and you think, okay, you know, one of the things we talked about last week was, are, is this team that good or was competition that bad? And I, I think we're maybe seeing a balance start to take place where Houston was better than any team Oklahoma faced out in El Paso. Probably at this point, the best team they faced this season still swept them. But maybe should we dial back a little bit of the enthusiasm for the second ranked team in the nation? I don't think so at this point. And a large reason why is because Oklahoma is still hitting home runs, Matt. That, it's, right, just, right. it's just not with the same number of players on base. So I do think when you begin to step up in competition, those base runners are, are going to be fewer than what they were in the early going. We're still seeing Grace Lyons hit home runs. We're seeing Grace Green hit home runs. We're seeing Jocelyn Allo hit home runs. This is still a loaded roster from top to bottom from number one to number nine in the batting order. It's who's going to be the hot player, the hot hitter of that day. Again, I know there's a lot of expectation on Allo to carry this team offensively, but the, the rest of the squad is no slouch. I also know when it comes to pitching, you've got to look at what, what, what Patty Gasso is doing in attempting to get some of these younger players experience because she knows just as well as you and I know, Matt, that Giselle Juarez isn't going to be here next year. She knows yeah. that Shannon Sale isn't going to be here next year. So what is she doing? She's throwing out Nicole May. She's throwing out Macy McAdoo in an attempt to get these players experience at the collegiate level so that they can propel this team continuously forward and into the Women's College World Series for years to come. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point, especially about pitching um, and the youngsters that she's throwing out there because we all know that when once Big 12 play starts, that this pitching rotation is going to be greatly shortened to basically Shannon Shell, Shannon Sell, and G. Juarez. And I think also the lineup that she's toying with uh, is going to be shortened as well. But this is a powerful lineup that uh, Patty Gasso is throwing out there. And it's, again, it's the, I think it's the most explosive lineup. And I'm going to go ahead and jump out there and say maybe even more so than what we saw win the World Series uh, a few seasons ago. Um, now, Oklahoma softball takes it to the road again. This time they're out uh, in Arizona, Tempe to be exact. Uh, they're going to play New Mexico on Friday before hosting, uh, hosting, before playing the host team, Arizona State, Friday evening. And that's the game, Rich, that we talked about. We really wanted to, we wanted to see, that's, that's going to be kind of the litmus test for this team as exactly how good they are because Arizona State is going to be the first actually ranked team, top 15 team that the Sooners will face this season. And then they move from Tempe to Phoenix. They'll play New Mexico again, uh, Grand Canyon, uh, and then Portland State. But, I mean, really... In my opinion, it's all, all eyes on Friday night against Arizona State at 5 o'clock Central Time to really see, fair or not, Rich, I think this is truly the litmus test for how good this team is. Yeah, it's an early measuring stick to see 
where you're at on a national scale versus, as you've mentioned, other teams that are in the top 25 currently. More importantly, it's it's a good barometer to see how you stack up against one of the best in the Pac-12. We know the Pac-12 is going to be stacked this year once again, and they're going to send multiple teams to the Women's College World Series. We're hoping that the Big 12 can at least send one, <laughs> if not two, in the form of Oklahoma and maybe a Texas or an Oklahoma State. But when it comes down to it, Matt, there's a lot to learn about this team. Um, I, we know what Oklahoma has in the circle in Giselle Juarez. We know what Oklahoma has at the plate mm-hmm. in Jocelyn Allo. In fact, Allo already has six home runs in seven games. It, if that doesn't speak volumes of the type of hitter she is, I don't know what does. It's who's going to come along defensively alongside of Giselle Juarez because we've talked about, and Patty Gasso has talked about this being the best outfield that she has. It's a pretty athletic infield as well. So defensively, how will they stack up once they meet a team that can actually put the ball into play more often than not? Yeah, and I think that's really going to uh, be a regular occurrence in conference play because I think the Big 12 is going to be as good as it's been in about four years uh, this coming spring. Okay, so we've got uh, some basketball talk to come up. True or false, Rich is going to be asking those questions. We always, always, always have to talk about football. So thanks for joining us on the Sooner Nation podcast. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. Okay, on the hardwood, Oklahoma with a costly loss at Manhattan, Kansas against the Kansas State Wildcats. And when I say costly, here's what it really looks at now, Uh, because the Big 12 is going to have to come down to percentage points. Rich, I don't think there's any way that they get all the games put in this season. So Oklahoma, with that loss to Kansas State, drops down to fourth place in the conference seedings, looking for the Kansas City Big 12 tournament, or just the, the conference standings. Uh, you got Baylor number one, West Virginia number two, Kansas number three, and then Oklahoma number four. Right on the heels of the Sooners is the Texas Longhorns, who, by the way, have been rescheduled for the final game of the season for the Sooners. We're about to get back-to-back Bedlam, uh, Oklahoma playing in Norman on Saturday against Oklahoma State, and then going to Stillwater the following week to play the Cowboys there before closing out at home against Texas. That would be the regular season finale. Rich, look – you put in the notes, um, I'm trying to remember exactly how you worded it, uh, uncommon or uncharacteristic loss. I don't yeah. think it was because if you look back at, at Lon Kruger's career at the University of Oklahoma, playing games in Manhattan has not been easy for him. That's It's always been a difficult place for Lon Kruger. And it's just one of those things where you you get to number seven in the nation in the polls you're on the road and they didn't play great. And I know a lot of people are going to make, make light or bring to bring to light the, the obvious no call on the foul on Austin Reeves there on the final shot. But, you know, I, I saw somebody on Twitter and I wish I could remember who it was because I would totally give them credit. But someone said, you, you, you can't play garbage basketball against a team that bad and then complain about the final play. And I, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, I agree wholeheartedly. Was that a foul on Austin Reeves? Absolutely it was. But that's not everything that went wrong in this game. No, and I certainly 
agree with you. You can't let one play dictate the outcome, the entire outcome of a game. We're looking at a Kansas State program that enters that contest with just six wins to 18 losses to their name. Oklahoma on the opposite end of the spectrum with 14 wins to five losses. Now we know that those things have moved since then. Um, and I felt like Oklahoma defensively found themselves in a favorable position more often than not. The star of that game for Kansas State was none other than McGurl. And when we look at what he was doing, I look at the defense that Elijah Harkless was playing against him, and it was a smothering style of defense. I felt like Harkless was so close. If McGurl had gum in his pocket, Harkless was taking it. That's how close. That's the kind of defense that we saw being played. But every now and then, for whatever reason, separation was created. And when that separation was created, McGurl had the hot hand and he was letting three-pointers rain down on Oklahoma. I think that was very demoralizing. And that was very characteristic of this game for me. When the chances were there, McGurl and Kansas State took advantage of them. And Oklahoma simply just, just gave them that space, if that makes sense. Well, no, it totally makes sense to me. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring up two things. The first thing I'm going to say is just remind fans that Oklahoma beat Kansas State by 25 points the first time these two teams played each other. And so, again, you're coming back, you're on the road, and you're you're number seven in the country, and you've, you're playing a team that you beat by 25 points. And so Oklahoma turns the ball over 12 times in this game, and they shot below 40% from the floor throughout throughout the game, including four of 20 from three-point range. This loss, all due respect to Kansas, seven and 18 on the season, this loss has more to do with Oklahoma, with what Oklahoma did wrong than with what Kansas State did right. Do you feel like that's a fair assessment? I do feel like that's a fair assessment. The one knock that I will say, though, Matt, against Oklahoma was was in sharing the ball. And it's not to say that they're not passing it, but oftentimes what we saw in this game against Kansas State was a reliance on self to create some space a little bit of what, what I like to call hero ball. And we typically use that reference when it's down the stretch and one individual starts waving people off. But when I'm looking at what Oklahoma did, eight assists where their, their average on the year, Matt, is 13.4. To me, it says that there were open players who, who potentially could have made a shot, but the ball wasn't moved in their general direction. Right. Now, when you look at this basketball team and, and what's facing them now, they're 14 and six overall, nine and five in the conference. Like we said, they're, they're number four right now in the Big 12, two games back to back against Oklahoma State in Norman and then in Stillwater before coming home to, to face the Texas Longhorns in the finale. Um, by the way, just my ADDs kicking in here. Can we just talk for a second about how ugly Kansas State's uniforms were the other night? <laughs> I just, if you want to. I just feel like that deserves a mention. That, <laughs> those were, to me, they reminded me of those nasty, ugly uniforms that the Miami Heat wears um, and just not a fan at all. But whatever, I'm not a, I'm not a Kansas State fan. Um, when you look at this schedule, I don't, think, I don't think the loss makes every game a must win for Oklahoma here on out. But I definitely think you, you have to. If you're the Sooners, you, got, you had all this momentum, people talking about a two or a three seed in the NCAA tournament. You reached as high as number seven in the country. Clearly, they won't be number seven next week when the, the new set of rankings come out. But, Rich, I, I think you have to win two of these final three to go to Kansas City, feeling pretty much on, on a good note like you did a week ago, and really to have a legitimate shot at a, a top two seed in the Big 12 tournament. 
Yeah, and we're, we're learning through this process, through these final games, we're going to learn a lot about where Oklahoma stands. My biggest fear coming out of this contest, Matt, is that that Oklahoma peaked just slightly too early, right before the close of the season and right before tournament time. If that's the case, we're going to see Oklahoma State come in and be extremely competitive, maybe split that contest. And then we're going to see Texas take control of the game and run Oklahoma out of the gym. They're very athletic. They're very lengthy. And there's a lot of what, what people have labeled as NBA talent on that Texas roster. Needless to say, this will be a telltale sign of the direction that Oklahoma is headed in. And we'll know a lot about them before we actually hit what is called March Madness before we actually hit the Big 12 tournament and, and presumably the NCAA tournament. The one thing, though, I will say, I'm going to disagree with you on this point. I don't think Oklahoma is vying for a number two spot. You're referencing the Big 12 tournament. Yeah. I get that. But I'm referencing the NCAA tournament. I think that loss to Kansas State so late in the season – almost automatically guarantees them a number three seed in the NCAA without the potential to climb higher. The only way I could see them climbing higher is if they were the runner up in the big 12 tournament to a team like Baylor, or if they even claimed to win, excuse no, I, me, not yeah. a win, the championship. Yeah. I do think if they were to win the big 12 tournament, that could get them back to a number seed, a uh, number two seed. Outside mm -hmm. of that, I agree with you. I, I think you're looking at a three to five seed based on how the regular season closes out and what they look like in Kansas City. And while you're talking about potential NBA talent on the Texas roster, let's talk about Bedlam for just a second because the Cowboys have potentially the number one pick in the NBA draft this coming year in Cade Cunningham. And I've always said this about Mike Boykin. I, he's a tremendous recruiter. I, I, I compare him a lot to... Um, to our, our dude down in, in Waco, you know, the great recruiter, not a fantastic X's and O's coach. And, and what Drew's doing with Baylor right now is by far the best thing he's ever done with the team. And unfortunately, they got shut down by COVID. And I'm curious to see what they're going to look like on the other side. How much rust is there going to be and how long will it get them to, to shake that off? But when you look at Oklahoma State, this is a team that has a superstar in Cunningham and then they've got talent. So, I mean, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it's, there's a difference between just talent and good talent and superstar. I think there's not a, there's not a guy on the Oklahoma roster right now that has the talent of Cade Cunningham, but there are five guys on the floor who equally distributed will outweigh Oklahoma state in overall talent. And I think this is going to come down to X's and O's and Mike Boynton loses that battle to Lon Kruger, in my opinion. And maybe if you're looking for, you know, a, you know, a silver lining in all of this, maybe you're right. Maybe they peaked too soon, or maybe they were kind of reading their own press clippings a little bit. And the loss in Manhattan is what they needed to kind of help them finish the season strong. And to refocus, I can see that being the case. Matt, I'm not saying that they've peaked too soon. It's a question that's out there and it's a question that won't be answered until we finalize these these last three games of the regular season. When I'm looking at Oklahoma State, I will agree with what you've stated here. There is a superstar in Cade Cunningham. In fact, there was a lot of talk at the beginning of this season in the NBA of which teams would tank in an attempt to get a player like Cade Cunningham who has such a high basketball IQ, has such a high ceiling, but is still somewhat of a raw 
a raw prospect mm -hmm. for the NBA. The size is there, the IQ is there, but but learning how to utilize that and keep defenders off balance is is something that he's going to have to progress on. I know everybody wants to talk about shooting when he gets into the NBA and developing a mid-range jumper instead of just relying on getting into the lane and drawing a foul or getting to the rim. There's a, a lot of things that can be talked about and when we look at Cunningham, he either has them or he doesn't, but that's not what I'm, I'm here to debate with you. I am looking at Oklahoma and I'm looking at Austin Reeves. I'm looking at Devion Harmon. I'm looking at Brady Manick. I think my question really for you, I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there. I think Brady Manick may ultimately decide who wins this contest, but we've seen him be in a little bit of a slump. Oklahoma does have three options that they can go to for scoring at any given moment. So my question for you, Matt, is are you in agreement with me? Do you believe that Brady Manick and his play will ultimately dictate the outcome of the contest this, this first round in Bedlam? No, I, I don't agree with that because I think this team, I think their long Kruger's at a point with Brady Manick is that whatever I get from him is good, uh, but I don't mm -hmm. need him to win. And I think they proved that during the time that Brady Manick was out. And I would say that there's more responsibility on the shoulders of, of Elijah Harkless and Mo Gibson than there is on Brady Manick. I think those are the guys that you, you need Austin Reeves to be Austin Reeves. You, you just have to have that. Okay. And Divian Harmon, what he does is going to be crucial as well. But when you look down to that third and fourth option, if Brady Manick's there and having a good game, I will say this, if Brady Manick goes off, Oklahoma wins this game. But if Brady Manning doesn't go off, I don't necessarily think that means that they lose because I think it's opportunity for Elijah Harkless and Mo Gibson. And I think part of the issue with Brady Manning this season, it's been, not been a great season for him as far as his health goes. We know that. But I think the other part of it is the athletic talent around him. Remember, he came in with Trey Young and basically he and Trey Young were the, the best two players on this team. Trey Young goes to the NBA after one year. Everybody looks at Brady Manick sophomore year and says, okay, now it's your turn. Now you got to be that guy. He wasn't really ready for that, but now he's, he's a guy, he's a guy on the team that when you put five on the floor, he's maybe the fourth or fifth most athletic guy that Oklahoma puts out there. And he's never been in that position before at the university of Oklahoma. Maybe he's never been in that position before in his upper level of, of, of playing basketball, because I know when he was at Hera, he was the star. No one was better than him on the floor and his, in his starting five, he was the guy. And he, again, he's four or five out of five now. And I think that's part of the deal, but I think that allows me to comfortably say they don't need him to win. They can certainly use him, but if he's off, I think Oklahoma still has a chance to win this game. So let me let me follow that up with a question because I know a lot of the By the way, the did talk, you hear the airplane fly over? Because I'm outside. No, I didn't. Okay, good. I know there's, uh, there's going to be a lot of talk centering around Cade Cunningham as the season closes out to where he projects in the NBA, what type of player he will be, regardless of which team ultimately selects him. When we look at Cade Cunningham, he's playing the point guard position. So how do you guard that? A guy who's 6'8", bringing the ball up the, the floor – how does Oklahoma look at Cunningham and say, this is how we're going to limit him. Maybe it's with an individual. Maybe it's with a set. Maybe it's with a specific defense. I just want your take on it real quick. 
Well, I think they're definitely going to either do a box and one or they're going to trap him. Um, they, they want the ball out of his hands. Make, make the second or third option beat you. That's what teams are doing against Oklahoma State. And and on nights where those second and third options are are doing well, then Oklahoma State's hard to beat. But again, I think I, I trust Long Kruger here to make sure that that Cunningham always has a man on his in his face. I would expect even to see some some nine defeat defense on Cade Cunningham. You know, uh, pick him up at the baseline and, and you follow him all the way in, make him work for everything he has. He's incredibly talented, but also he's incredibly young. And so you've got guys that have experience that are going to, they're going to be physical with him. Uh, if you, if you foul him, you get your money's worth type foul, um, nothing dirty, but at least make him know you're there. Um, and so I, I think it's, it's just going to, you find ways to frustrate him. You find ways to limit passing lanes and then you, you try to force him into bad shots and, and, I, I I don't expect Oklahoma to stop Cade Cunningham. I expect him to lead the Cowboys in scoring on Saturday. What I'm looking at is who's the number two guy. Is it likely? I mean, if can can you keep likely to to below ten points? You know, um, th- those are those are the type of guys that you really got to look at. It's not Cade Cunningham because look at Trey Young. I mean, we've made this comparison. Other people have made this comparison. It's fair to say Trey Young was the NBA star. And he had four other guys on the floor and night in and night out, you said, we're going to get Trey young. We're going to let him do Trey young things, but we can't let the guys that support Trey young go mm-hmm. off as well. And that's, I really expect Lon Kruger to do something very similar in both Bedlam games. I mean, that's a good take and a very good comparison. If you're asking me, um, I, I don't know that I would have come in with that approach, Matt, but, but you're winning me over. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, it's your turn now to do true or false. And uh, we're going to come back with that. And you're asking the questions. So you put me in the hot seat. Uh, let's, um, let's try to be excited about that. Well, welcome back to the Sooner Nation podcast. Matt, I am putting you in the hot seat. As you previously stated with these true or false segment questions, I know that we have addressed this first one. So you can give me a very short answer as it comes to true or false. But when we're looking at this Oklahoma basketball team and we're beginning to wrap up talks and we're beginning to look ahead for the Big 12 tournament as well as the NCAA tournament and and what could potentially happen there for Oklahoma. True or false, after reaching number seven in the polls, Oklahoma has peaked and is now entering a slump. Oh, that's false. I, I'm, it, it may be true, but you can't say that after one game. You can't say that after one loss. Um, so I, at this point, I've got to say false. Like I said, Oklahoma, Lon Kruger has struggled in Manhattan. I think it's something about that's where that's his alma mater. That's that's going home for him. It's been a struggle his entire 10 years at the University of Oklahoma. I would I would be curious to go back and look at what his record is in Manhattan. And I'm saying it's 500 or below. Um, And so I don't think after one loss that you can say that they've they've peaked now in the polls. I think they have. I don't think they'll get any higher than what they were. And I doubt they'll even get back to number seven unless they go through and win the Big 12 tournament. So um, so I think if you're talking about rankings, yeah, number seven, they've peaked out of that. They will probably finish going March Madness around 10 to 12 based on how they wrap up these three games and then Kansas city. Mm-hmm. But as far as the team on the floor, no, I don't, I don't think, um, I don't think you can say they peaked. I, at this point, I'm going to say they were looking ahead 
there was you got to see a lot of talk leading up to that game about March Madness and how far they think they can go in the NCAA tournament. I'm saying it's more likely they overlooked Kansas State and were moving on than they have peaked and are now coming down on the backside of the bubble. Yeah, this is an experienced team, and it's very easy to forget that because a handful of the names came via the transfer market. Mo Gibson, you have Austin Reeves, all of these these Gibson being one of the best shooters on the team, Austin Reeves leading the team in various statistical categories. It's easy to forget that they their juniors, seniors and aren't new to this realm. So when we begin to look at this idea of them slumping, I have to agree, Matt. I think it was just an oversight on behalf of the team. They were moving forward and, and looking to this these rivalries that are coming up. Of course, those will overshadow a game against Kansas State, whether that's on the, the football field or, or, or whether that's on the basketball court. It's not going to matter. But I do want to switch over to the football field, Matt, as we begin to talk ever so slightly about football and we begin to take in what's going to what's going to transpire this spring 247 sports i don't know if you were aware of this but they did rank the top 50 transfers who were moving about the country a handful of those specifically three transferred into the university of oklahoma however they placed eric gray as the highest rated transfer that Oklahoma received, even above a player like Awanya Morris. Mm -hmm. So true or false, 247 Sports got it right. Eric Gray should and will continue to be the highest rated transfer on OU's roster. I'm going to say that's true. I don't think there's controversy here. And, and, and I see you shaking your head at me, but <laughs> here's why it's true. Uh, number one, Awanya uh, Morris is going to be a one-year guy at the University of Oklahoma. He's got to come in, and he's going to have to fight for a job. Not that Eric Gray isn't, but there's more opportunity for Eric Gray. See, number I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Oh, okay, we can, we can talk about it then. But uh, the second reason why is when Eric Gray scores touchdowns, Wanya Morris is only going to be noted when he comes into the end zone to celebrate with Eric Gray. So, I mean, it's, it's the sexy pick, so to speak. It's that, that guy who's the flash and dash and, and Eric Gray, I mean, he was a state record holder in high school. He was a freshman, all American. He, I mean, it's not like Oklahoma just found a guy on the side of the road and said, Hey, come play football. For no, us. not at all. Yeah, one, you Morris is talented, but Eric Gray is extremely talented and he's most likely going to be a multiple year guy at the university of Oklahoma. So I a hundred percent think they got it right with Eric Gray being the highest ranked guy that comes to the University of Oklahoma via the transfer portal. The but problem for me, you, you just, yeah, the, let's talk the problem it. for me is that you said there's more potential for a guy like Eric Gray, maybe more potential to have his name called over the PA system, because it's very rare that we hear an offensive lineman's name called unless they've done something extremely egregious. When I look at Wanya Morris and I look at the talent that he is, a five-star talent coming via the University of Tennessee to the University of Oklahoma, he will compete for a starting job and he will win that starting job. It doesn't matter how long he's here, Matt. The problem for me is that with that potential, when I look at claiming a starting role under a guy like Bill Biedenboe, it's almost a, a document, if you will, or a contract that pushes you into the NFL. When I look at a guy like Eric Gray, I'm not saying there's not potential, but he's going to be competing with who? Kennedy Brooks, a guy who's rushed 
for the past two seasons that he played minus this previous year has rushed for over a thousand yards. Right. When we look at who the odds on favorite is to win the starting job at the running back position, it is undoubtedly Kennedy Brooks. And if anybody steps out there in front of Kennedy Brooks, I can guarantee you social media will be on fire with comments saying, where is Kennedy Brooks? Especially if Brooks performs in the spring as well as he has in the previous seasons that he played. For me, Kennedy Brooks is the starter, and Eric Gray is going to play that backup role, that complementary role to the star running back on this roster, whereas Vanya Morris is going to come in and be a dominant force up front that paves the way for these guys. Okay, fair point. Let me ask you a series of questions. Okay. Can I, is that fair? Can I ask you a series I guess. of questions? I mean, this is my true or false, but you can ask the questions. <laughs> okay. So there's five offensive linemen mm -hmm. that start, right? You got right. three, three returning starters on that offensive line. How many guys are competing for two jobs right now at the University of Oklahoma? Is, was Christopher Murray it's not a, a freshman? Was Christopher Murray not a freshman All-American? So, so you've got guys like Christopher Murray... Uh, you got a transfer coming in in Congo from Arizona State. You, you've got Morris coming in. And then you've got guys that have been on campus for multiple years, all competing for two spots on the offensive line. Okay? So here's well, maybe next... more. I mean, we can't oh, say that sure. with any level of certainty. Well, we, we know that there's two guys missing from, <laughs> from 2020. Right. Okay? So let me ask you this. How many returning running backs does Oklahoma have from 2020? Three. Returning starting running backs from 2020. Well, Matt, there's only one starting position for a running back. And so when we look at the running back room, I do believe we have to look at the entire group, not just an individual. I think Eric Gray comes in as one of the top two running backs, so there's no question about that. For okay. So, so, okay, so you've answered my question. Mm -hmm. There's no starting running backs coming back from 2020. TJ Pledger's gone. Ramondre Stevenson's gone. Okay, so here's here's my final question. When you look, talk about you you said Kennedy Brooks will be the starting running back. Right, and Kennedy Brooks was a starter. If we want to be I, honest, about I it. agree. I agree. He'll be the starting running back, and then you're like, Gray will be like the complimentary back. <laughs> you know, I, you didn't say it with an accent, but you know what I mean. He'll be the complimentary back to the starter. So can I ask you this final question? Yeah, go for it. Who is the star? when Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon were sharing the backfield? Samaj P. Ryan, no questions. I mean, because I'm pretty sure. I mean, only one of them rushed for over 400 yards in a single game, right? All I'm saying is I'm pretty confident there's a lot of Sooner Nation who would take the other side of that. <laughs> and we've seen, the Joe, tandems, we've seen the tandems of running backs mm -hmm. at OU. We've seen the, str uh, with the struggle with defenses when you – Bring in fresh legs. And I'm telling you, Eric Gray has so much more oppor opportunity and so much more potential than Wanya Morris does. But, That's but you've, missed, you, you've missed the point of the question, in my opinion. I, I see the argument that you're making. I'm just not able to relate it to the original question because these are ranking the type of talent. It's ranking the top 50 transfers and I, I don't agree. care. I think it's in the right spot. I mean, I'm saying, I don't see what you're saying. And that's fine. Right but spot. listen, listen. Okay. I don't care if 
Eric Gray will hear his name called more. I can even go back. We can think of DeMarco Murray in, in the Chris Brown days as well. Everybody knew who DeMarco Murray was, but Chris Brown was a very unheralded right? running back, in my opinion, for the University of Oklahoma. In fact, he was a thousand yard rusher. That's not something that happens when you have two running backs that crack the 1,000 yard mark. That doesn't happen very often. That's a very special group. But you know what was even more special? That offensive line. Oh, I, I agree. Here's, I'm, I'm not, here's I'm not where debating I'm going, that, Rich. I'm just saying, <laughs> NFL, Adrian Peterson, Kiwan Jones, Adrian Peterson, Alan Patrick. You, you talk about DeMarco Murray, Chris Brown. I get it. The guys up front, they paved the way. But whose jersey gets sold? Mm -hmm. All right. Adrian Peterson's jersey gets sold. Adrian Peterson gets the big time NFL contract. And that's here's, that's that's why their ranking is correct. Well, here's where I'm going with it is is the level of talent. I mean, we can go back and look at recruiting rankings, Matt, and there's linemen for days inside of the top 10 right. coming out of high school. I mean, they get that ranking for a reason. And I get when you begin to compare a lineman to a running back, you're comparing apples to oranges because mm -hmm. those are two vastly different positions, even though they work together towards a same common goal, they, <laughs> they do or achieve that common goal in two vastly different ways. And so it's hard to compare them directly across the board. I'm just looking at a guy that I believe is a 100% shoe in for the NFL versus maybe even a first round, but for sure a first or second round type talent when it comes to Morris versus a guy who I think is NFL caliber, but is maybe more of a, a day two or three guy in the NFL draft. And so when I begin to rank them, that's a consideration that I'm throwing in. I think you're going to be surprised with what you see in Eric Gray. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Well, we can re maybe okay. revisit this conversation uh, and, and, in October or November. Right. We actually have some concrete evidence right. of the two on the field. Matt, I'm just going to keep it rolling then on sure. to number three of this true or false. Defensively, I know we talked a lot about the offense and the transfers, but defensively, Oklahoma was very impressive last year and we saw that growth. We saw the maturation and we saw just what year one under Grinch can do to year two mm -hmm. under a guy like Alex Grinch, Oklahoma recorded 37 sacks last year, which I believe led the big 12. Correct me if I'm wrong there, but when we begin to look at this defense heading into the spring and Matt, I know we kind of talked about this, but I, I'm going to throw it out in a, in a different light, if you will, heading into the spring, true or false, the biggest need for OU is, is the development of a shutdown cornerback. Mm. I mean, you're talking I don't about care just, what name you want to throw out there. You're talking about just on the defensive side, right? Correct. Correct. No, um, I'm talking about in general. You're talking about for the whole team, the greatest need on the yeah. whole team. No, that's false. Yeah, it's true. False. Singular player, the greatest need mm -hmm. or the biggest thing that Oklahoma needs to develop 100 is a shutdown false. corner. No. If you're talking about the, if you're talking on the defense, I might I might get on board. But if you're talking about on the entire team, I'm looking at two missing offensive linemen from last year. I'm looking at no running backs coming back from last year that had starting experience. I, I mean, Seth McGowan is right now is your most experienced running back from 2020. I, I'm wondering who's the number two receiver right now. I mean, because you got receivers jumping left and right into the transfer portal. We, we all know that Mims is just a star, but tell me who's number two. Who's number two to Marvin Mims right now on this offense? Theo Weiss. Uh, 
I, really? Are you sure about that? Yeah, um, I'm pretty positive. What about the H back? <laughs> you know, is Austin Stogner going to be healthy again? And is is someone going to re- even replace Austin Stogner as the starter? I, I I think there's way way bigger things than just the need for a shutdown corner. Yeah, you'd love to have one. But again, you look at these young guys that are going to be upperclassmen now, um, you know, in Davis and so forth. That's I, I just I think I think they're solid at the cornerback position. But how good are they going to be at the safety and the nickelback position? I, I've, I've shared my piece on Buki entering the transfer portal. I, I, I think the guy coming in from Tennessee is better than Buki, but I don't know for sure. I know we have two cornerbacks. I know 100% Oklahoma has two cornerbacks who can start and play in this conference. I can't say 100% they have a nickelback that can do that right now. I can't say 100% that they have an edge rusher that's going to replace Ronnie Perkins. So when you get into the defensive side of the ball, I think it becomes more of a, a spotlight thing. But if you're talking about the entire team, no, I can't get on board that that's the greatest need for the entire team. You just lost your, I mean, I, I'm this, I don't want to throw light. I get it, but you just lost your placeholder and he got his eyeball broken in a bathroom bar fight. Who's going to hold the ball when you go to kick a field goal? I mean, there, there are so many other issues out there in my opinion. <laughs> When uh, when you talk about the needs of this team that I'm going to be looking at in the spring outside of cornerback. And by the way, I hope Spencer Jones has a quick recovery and can make his way back if he chooses to come back one more year. Uh, but I, I wish him a speedy recovery, but that was just a bad situation. Hey, sticking with the theme here on the defensive side of the ball for Oklahoma, there are some some pretty good names that a lot of fans will have confidence in. Isaiah Thomas being one of those, Perry and Winfrey being another, and Nick Benito as well. When we look at this defense, Matt, is it is it true or is it false that Nick Benito is the best returning defender on this Oklahoma roster? Returning defender, yeah. <laughs> Man, that's a good question because I immediately wanted to say yes, but then I thought about Perry and Winfrey. And I think right. Perry and Winfrey might actually be the best deterrent returning defender on, on this roster with Nick Benito being a close second. Um, so I'm going to say false and I'm going to default to Perry on Winfrey as the best guy uh, on this defense. And then Nick Benito as a close Nick Benito's he's going to make himself a lot of money in 2021. Um, and then when you add the, po- the potential of big cat Bryant coming in and being a part of this defense, um, this, this defense, I said it, uh, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before. And you kind of shot me like, are you serious? Look, I, I think this team right now is a better roster than the team that beat Florida in the cotton bowl. I'm sticking to my guns on that. And a lot of it's because the defense got better. You lost Ronnie Perkins, but she got better. Um, and, um, and if you add big cat Bryant, you're going to get even, even better beyond that. So uh, but man, that's a great question, Rich. And I think it's, I think it's close, but I think I'd have to go with, I, I think I'd have to go with Perry on Winfrey um, because he's just such a disruptive force in the middle. I'm, I've been a huge fan of Winfrey since he stepped on campus. If you don't believe that you can always go back and listen to any of the previous podcasts during the season. When we talk about the effect that he had 
and the way that he propelled this secondary to a level of success that we hadn't seen that we had more so hoped for than anything else. The emergence of Isaiah Thomas, I thought he mm. would have been a great name to throw out there as possibly one of the best returning defenders, if not the yeah. best returning defender on this Oklahoma roster as he well. He was definitely but all, the most improved guy. And, you know, you yeah. look at him in 2020 and he, you're, he's the pleasant surprise you got mm-hmm. on that defensive line for sure. But it all, and it all starts in the middle. For me, though, it's hard to ignore the presence of a guy like Winfrey. It brings me to my last question here, Matt, because we are not too far out from the NFL draft. When we begin to consider some of the players and the names that are going to be entering the draft, specifically from the this Oklahoma Sooners roster, one of the biggest names that everybody's going to be looking at is the guy that you've already mentioned, Ronnie Perkins. Mm-hmm. Now, we know last year... K-9 was taken as a defender, as a linebacker in the first round of the NFL draft. So true or false, this will be the second consecutive year in which Oklahoma has a defender taken in the first round of the NFL draft. Man, look, I'm going to have to say false at this point. And the reason why it's going to be twofold. Uh, number one, the the lack of a combine. Now, there's going to be a pro day uh, in Norman, but uh, just the lack of that actual physical inspection and mental inspection um that's gonna you know that's gonna hurt ronnie perkins because he he only played the, you know the, the last half of the season i think that suspension is gonna hurt him because guys can't really come in and i'm not questioning ronnie perkins character at all so don't don't interpret that but there's a lot of nfl execs who are going to question ronnie perkins character and so that's going to play and rightfully so yeah and that's and that's going to play a role in that so i is he first round talent? Yes. Is he going to be drafted in the first round? At this point, I have to say no. Second round for sure. Well, that wraps it up for me, Matt. That's all the questions I got for you. Okay. Well, let's talk some more football and then and close this thing out. Well, the biggest news this last week with Oklahoma concerning the football program is the transfer of Theo Howard. Howard comes in to the University of Oklahoma, never really reaching his full potential. And Rich, I think a lot, most of that, I think all of it can be blamed on the Achilles injury. The guy was a true speedster at UCLA. Oklahoma fans saw him play against the Sooners when the Bruins visited Norman. Um, he, he had a lot of talent, but he had a lot of injury issues. And then I I really feel when you, when you look at this, it's the same thing as a guy like Charleston Rambo. Um, I'm blanking on the freshman who who left. We talked about him last week and now Theo Howard hits the portal. I I think Trevon West. Yeah. Thank you. Trevon West. Uh, I was, I just didn't care enough to look up the roster. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't. Um, But um, I think it just speaks volumes to the level of talent that Oklahoma has in these youngsters and when you're a guy like Theo Howard, you worked your way back from an Achilles injury. You never were a hundred percent, but then you look at the guys grinding next to you and you just think, man, I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be buried on this depth chart. Um, they're deep, they're talented. And, and like I said, talent breeds talent. These guys are going to make their way on the field. And even though Oklahoma are, is going to use a rotation of five to seven or maybe eight receivers, Howard's looking at, at Marvin Mims. And thinking, man, that guy's a star. And he's looking at, you know, Austin Stogner and knowing he's coming back healthy. You you mentioned Theo Weiss, Jaden Hazelwood. And then you got these guys coming in like Mario Williams and Jalil Farouk. And I think Howard just weighing his options. And he does have the potential 
to go somewhere else and be a star. I don't think he has that potential at the University of Oklahoma anymore, and I think a lot of it has to do with the Achilles injury. I think he could have been, but he had the Achilles injury. Everybody lost spring ball, but he lost more than that, and then he just couldn't catch up, and I think he saw the writing on the wall that he wasn't going to catch up. Yeah, this is a very crowded room. There's not a lot of space for guys who are hoping to get playing time, especially for upperclassmen who couldn't make a significant impact in the previous year. I look at that Achilles injury. I look at the setback, and you have to credit a guy like Theo Howard for saying that he would be ready on day one and then actually doing that. We did see Theo Howard against Missouri State, even though it was something that a lot of people didn't expect, didn't think was actually physically possible to do after the Achilles stare. Needless to say, you know that he has the work ethic. You know that he's a guy who's going to do whatever it takes in order to see the field unfortunately that is a transfer for him. He's decided that that's what's best for his future, but I, I can't really say that I'm surprised by it, Matt. I, I don't know that no, this I is agree. something that, that comes as a complete ball out of left field, as people like to call it. When we hear the transfer of Theo Howard, I, there's another name that you haven't even mentioned a Trajan bridges who we saw begin to work his yeah. way back into this roster after he's serving be that a, suspension. Right, and he'll be a true vertical threat. Right. Yeah. And and that's what we're expecting. And so when you're competing with that, another name that hasn't been thrown out is a guy like Drake Stoops who continues to come in. And when he's given minutes, when the ball's thrown in his direction, he seems to make big plays. There are questions around the inexperience of a guy like Jaden Hazelwood. There's questions about the health of Hazelwood coming into 2021 as well. And so when we look at such a crowded room, what's coming in, it's all top tier talent. And we haven't even mentioned one of the names that we're about to talk about in a Billy Bowman, who Matt, I believe is the most intriguing prospect that Oklahoma has signed in years. Go ahead okay. and disagree. No, it's no, okay. No, no. Just, just, I know you're thinking hard about it. Well, cause I saw that on the, um, on our, our list of, yeah, our list of topics to talk about. And my question is this, when you talk about the most intriguing, do you, do you mean how they're going to have an impact on their first season? Or do you mean, are you talking about their careers? Because either way, I think I disagree with you. <laughs> oh, well, it doesn't matter what I think that I, doesn't no, matter I, what I'm referencing even. Go ahead and give me, give me your thought process here. T talk, tell me what's going on in, in that brain of yours. Okay. So when I'm looking at Billy Bowman, and I'm looking at what he's being signed as. It's an athlete. Right. Now, a lot of individuals, myself included, do believe that he will star on the offensive side of the ball for Oklahoma. I agree. However, I can't deny or ignore the fact that there's a lot of need in the secondary, a role that Billy Bowman thrived in at the high school level. It's he for me, the reason that he's so intriguing is I legitimately think that he could be a two-way player at the collegiate level. And that's okay. something that's very few and far between. There are not a lot of guys who have that type of talent, who have that mental capacity at the speed that the division one level of college football is played at. Billy Bowman, though, fits that type of a mold for me. And very much so I could see him playing on both sides of the ball, especially early in his career. Okay. I, I can, I can jump on board with that. Um, but see, when you say intriguing, and, and I think you, you, you adequately described that, because I'm thinking, how, 
How is he going to be used? You know, all these questions, I got all these questions about him. And for me, that guy in this, this last recruiting class, the 2021 class is Isaiah Coe. Because we've talked about Perion Winfrey, and we've talked about Isaiah Thomas, and we talked about the depth and the talent of this defensive line. But then you sign a junior college defensive tackle for what? <laughs> What's his purpose? I'm, he's, is he going to replace Perion Winfrey? Is he going to play defensive tackle? Are you going to move him to defensive end? What, what is the purpose of signing a 6'3", 305-pound defensive tackle? Is it just – I mean, are you – because that, that's a big dude. I mean, let's, let's be honest. That's a big dude. So what, why, what purpose does he serve in this recruiting class? And he's a junior college guy. So, Rich, you know my thought on junior college guys. They have to come in and, and produce. You, you don't look at junior college guys for depth. And so I'm thinking, are you going to put Co in the very middle of this defensive line in like a nose guard position and then slide Perry and Winfrey over? I love that idea. I do. So for me, I, I'm more intrigued. I think Billy Bowman's going to be a star. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think he probably has a better chance at being an offensive role player um, where he does multiple things outside, just catch passes and possibly be involved in this, in the return game. Mm-hmm. More, I think that's a better chance than, than him flipping over to the defensive side of the ball in, as a two-way player. But I agree with you, the potential's there. Well, I will say this, okay? I, I'm going to throw this out because this was a topic that I stole from ESPN. When they start oh, okay. labeling when they start labeling individuals, just like 247 Sports put out uh-huh. their rankings of top 50 transfers this season, there is going to be people who disagree with that. I'm, I'm one of those, but when it comes to Billy Bowman, ESPN saying that he is the most intriguing prospect or most intriguing incoming player at the University of Oklahoma, they've attached this quote to it, and it says, it's from Lincoln Riley. It says, I don't have the first clue where he's going to play for us, but it's going to be somewhere. It wouldn't shock me if he doesn't end up having a role for us on both sides of the football. It sounds like this is a, a player that Oklahoma wants, and they're going to take a Gary Patterson approach mm-hmm. to it, that we're going to recruit the most athletic players from across the country. And after they arrive on campus, we're going to decide what position right. fits them best. It doesn't matter what these evaluators no, yeah. at the high school level have, have given them. We're, we'll figure that out later. Right. And no, and I agree that that's all a valid point. But again, to me, it just comes back to, you got a junior college defensive, a junior college defensive um, tackle tackle that's, huge why do you need him and what are you going to do with him that's that's just what when you talk about intriguing that's what that's where i fall in line on that so that's going to wrap it up for us here on the sooner nation podcast we're thankful that you tuned in to listen you can find us on the twitters at at sports heartland on twitter at sports heartland also you can find us with some thoughts opinions recaps previews just general nonsense uh, on the web every day, heartland-sports.com. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us where you agree, where you disagree. Um, we would love to know your thoughts on Richard's questions for true or false. Do where, where do you weigh in on that? Hit us up on Twitter. You can always email us heartland underscore sports at yahoo.com. Have a fantastic weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Boomer Sooner.